Jack Sherry on 2FM. Oh, what a tune. That is Block Party and Banquet on 2FM. And oh, God, I love it. And now, though, it is time for us to talk news. I am joined by Aoife Moore. Hello, my friend Aoife. Good morning. That Block Party song just reminds me of being sick here at school. Isn't it just, it's just wonderful. So good. <laughs> it just takes you back. Um, and uh, it, it, it's just so uh, yeah, I just love it. I don't know. Sorry. It really hit me. It hit me somewhere this morning. And I just <laughs> um Okay, Aoife, I cannot believe it. But it's happening. We've got like it's, good news. It's happening. It's it's all coming together, lads. Like there is light at the end of the tunnel. We can see it. The hairdressers have opened their booking portals. It's happening. It's happening. So let's start with, uh, before we get into the kind of lifting of restrictions and stuff, let's start with where we are in terms of COVID numbers and vaccination numbers. Cool. Yeah. So we had 545 new cases last night. So we know that we've been rattling around the 300, 400, 500 number for quite a while and we don't actually know how much lower we are going to be able to get it because of the prevalence of the B117 variant. Mm -hmm. But we are seeing, you know, huge decreases in hospital numbers and stuff. And this is obviously to do with the vaccine rollout. Um, So around 28% of adults in the country have had their first dose. We're around 1.5 million Mm -hmm. uh, doses given out we'll have today. So it's happening. They're they're rattling them out. People are getting vaccinated. The vulnerable, the Taoiseach has booked his vaccine. Very mm-hmm. jealous. And the portal for people aged 50 to 59 is going to open within the next couple of weeks. So we're de- we're definitely getting there. It's it's happening. And what's this chat about? Uh, what did I hear about maybe doing 40 to 50 year olds and 50 to 60 year olds at the same time? Yeah, so basically what they're going to do is they're going to run two age cohorts in parallel. This is will be this will be our 27th vaccine plan. We've had to revise it so wow. much because of the issues with Supply. you know not giving yeah. certain vaccines to certain cohorts and stuff like that. So there's a new plan going to come out basically that we have so many vaccines coming into the country that we'll be able we'll not want to keep them in fridges. We want to get them out on the arms so we can run two age cohorts at the same time which will obviously be great it'll speed stuff up and NIAC guidance which has been accepted by the government is now going to offer pregnant women the vaccine as well earlier than planned which right. is really good because I know that had been a concern after we had some issues um, you know with stillbirths and stuff like that so yeah. that's the new advice which I'm sure will be a lot of comfort to a lot of people that's mm. just it's just great it's just great I mean the idea of like 40 40 to 50 year olds like that's young that's nearly like I am not far off that (laughs) (laughs) it's coming and you know once you get into 30s and 20s like it's oh Mm. it's just it's it's so good and there are lots of reasons to be cheerful absolutely and of course because more people are getting vaccinated and people are safer that means that we can start to open up again and we had Mm -hmm. big announcements this week in terms of that Yep, so we had our State of the Nation this week and we were told that hairdressers, barbers and beauticians can open from the 10th of May. Mm. Click and Collect can also open from 10th of May. And then all non-essential retail, a phrase I never want to hear again, will be permitted to reopen from the 17th of May. And then the one everyone cares about, pubs, 
and restaurants can we can eat outside so you'll be eating a chicken curry with hailstones pouring on it from the 7th of June. <laughs> Do you know what? I was eating outside in December and I was loving it. So I think we can all stomach, uh, you know, a bit of weather. We're Irish after was, all. My dad's pub was in Donegal and I was like, oh, well, at least, you know, people can eat outside. And he was, that was him that said he was like, yeah, I'll be handing over people's chicken curry with hailstones just pouring on it in northwest Donegal eating outside. Probably not ideal. And you know what, though? They'll be happy, Aoife. People will do it. They'll be happy, <laughs> and that's all that matters. Um, it is such good news, and it's great. You can see people kind of lifting a little bit, spirits lifting. You know how you said there you never want to hear uh, essential retail ever again? Mm-hmm. Do you know what mm-hmm. I never want to hear again? And you say what? it all the time, and I'm sorry, my friend. Abundance <laughs> of caution. Abundance <laughs> of caution is a phrase I will happily put in the pandemic bin when this is all over. It's, it's total uh, government speak as well. There's certain terms that no one outside of Leinster House ever uses. Yeah. And th- that's one of them. Well, Out of an abundance of caution. Yeah, so we can, we'll fire that one in the bin. Um, now, yeah. it, Northern Ireland is ahead of us, of course. And I gathered there were big crowds as shops opened in Northern Ireland this week. Yes, I'm sure everybody saw the photos of the queues outside Premark in Derry. So Derry, among being the best place in the world, also has a really good pre-mark. Mm-hmm. Um, it's massive, it's three floors. Sorry, I'm just really enjoying pre-mark, not primark. Pre-mark? Mm. Is that how... Primark's how... what English people call it. Oh, okay, got it. Sorry, I'm mm. learning, learning here. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there was huge crowds. Um, there was also crowds outside the Belfast one, but we don't need to talk about that. So yeah, there was huge crowds outside um, pre-mark or pennies um, for people in the Republic. <laughs> Because obviously we know that uh, shops have been closed since Christmas, kids clothes especially, mm-hmm. I would argue, are essential. Mm-hmm. You know, kids grow so fast, stuff like that. Um, and, and some entrepreneurial fellow was actually doing deliveries to people in the queue for <gasps> pre-marketing day, which was amazing. Like amazing. bringing up like coffee and tea and uh, sandwiches, amazing. Um, so yeah, that's all reopened in the north. So has the same thing, eating outside, you know, bars, restaurants mm-hmm. can serve outside so everyone's you know back outside and that I suppose that'll be for the summer that we're all gonna have to get used to it and get our layer get our layers on because we know that we can open up a bit but we're not exactly there to be eating inside and you know in each other's houses and stuff like that so yeah the north is further on with their vaccine program the portal for 30 to or 34 to 30 year olds Mm. uh, opened yesterday unbelievable in the north they have a huge vaccination centre um, in the SSE in Belfast. So they are just rattling out their vaccines. So there's plenty of reasons to be happy for us northerners. Very good. <laughs> and staying in the north, Arlene Foster is uh, yeah. leaving her post. It's an end of an era, actually. Yeah. Um, Arlene Foster, who was the leader of the DUP and the first minister of the north, um, suffered a heave against her this week. Um Quite a lot, a majority of her MLAs and MPs signed um, a letter of no confidence in her. Um, this has been coming a while, you know, there's been serious uh, discontent over Brexit, which mm. the DUP championed. Mm. Um, and I think some people would argue it's a bit unfair that it's kind of been laid at Arlene's door, but they champion Brexit. They don't like the Brexit deal, um, the Irish sea border. They don't like it. Um, they say, you know, it, it removes... Uh, the north from mainland Britain and that Mm. obviously doesn't sit right with them because being British is part of their identity so I suppose with um, great power (laughs) comes great responsibility and the blame has kind of been left at Arlene Foster's door Mm. 
she released a statement um which I thought was really uh, it was a really good statement. She talked about what it's like to be a woman uh, in politics. Um, obviously, she's part of a female leadership team along with Michelle O'Neill, and uh, how hard it was to be a woman in politics, and you know that it had been the honour of her life um, to be the first minister. And you need to remember, like Arlene Foster has been through a lot. You know, to go into government with the likes of Mar- uh, Martin McGuinness. You know, the an, yeah. I, an IRA man tried to kill Arlene Foster's dad. When she was very young, um, so it took a lot for her, you know, to go into government. But, you know, that's what Northern Ireland, um, is about now. It's about you know compromise and and moving on and stuff like that. So, yeah. yeah. And she also said yesterday, which I thought was, I thought this was really mean, but no one who had signed the letter of no confidence in her contacted her. Oh, so gosh. no one had been in touch even to say, thanks, all the best, good luck. So she's actually quit the DUP as well. She mm-hmm. said that once she stands down in May from her post as leader of the DUP and first minister that she will be uh that she'll be leaving the DUP she said it wasn't the party that she had joined I would argue that it is the party she joined you know we saw this happen to Ian Paisley as well he was eventually kind of heaved out of his own party which he formed and created yeah because you know they're like the way they do politics is very uncompromising yeah and that's not really conducive to you know good government when you have to share a government yeah so She's gone and um, her replacement is most likely going to be a man who's the Minister for Agriculture, the man called Edwin Putz, who is um, very fire and brimstone. Mm. He'll probably be seen as taking a stronger hand. But it kinda, it's a kind of impossible position because I don't actually know what's going to happen. The Irish sea border isn't going to go anywhere. Yeah. The EU's been very um, very you know, hard on that, that they're not, they can maybe make some arrangements around it but you know they're not going to change it so yeah it'll be a tough job whoever gets it um to see what actually happens and can I ask you and this might be a stupid question um Mm -hmm. so feel free to like laugh me out of town but like obviously we've seen major progress in the Republic of Ireland in terms of our attitudes towards I don't know I suppose you know things like gay marriage and Mm -hmm. marriage equality and stuff like that and does that translate in the north or is there still such an appetite for that kind of fire and brimstone politics? Well, this is the other thing. The polls consistently would say that Northern Ireland is becoming a lot more progressive. Yeah. You know, if you do a poll on gay marriage, if you do a poll on abortion, they're both they would both pass tomorrow, you know, if the people were allowed to vote on them. However, there is a base there, um, especially within the DUP when it comes to things like gay marriage. Mm. There is a very very um ultra christian base there mm. who don't uh, believe in equality for lgbt uh people mm. and that's the kind of base i think that the dup are going to slide back into um yeah. long term politically i don't know how successful that's yeah. going to be because the numbers just aren't there yeah. for the votes yeah that's what so i was so it's wondering. a short term it's a short short term um fix i think because they are losing voters to more right wing unionist parties and I think they're in a bit of a scramble at the minute to try and claw some of those voters back but long term it's not really a decent plan because they're also losing a lot of votes to the alliance party who are much more centrist um, and believe in equality and are very you know kind of progressive in their views and they're using they're losing young uh, unionist um, to them yeah to them yeah. so that's long term I don't know where this is going to go yeah it's interesting we'll have to watch uh, very carefully um, let's move on because there was a story this week that the Ombudsman for Children has said the government is failing to put proper safeguards in place to keep children in direct provision safe which is just 
I mean, awful. Did, did we even need this report? I though? know. Like, the I thing know. is, and like, we've talked about this a lot on the show, but, you know, direct provision is something that the state is probably going to have to apologize for yeah. in years to come. Every report that comes out, every Arctis committee that we hear from people who have lived in direct provision tell us how awful it is. Tell us about the conditions there that, you know, it made them incredibly depressed and that uh, their children suffered and they worried about their children's health, their mental health. We see, you know, Massey, the group who represents asylum seekers, we see pictures of some of the food that people are served. Now, I'm saying this is not all direct provision centres, but it is some of them. And a report came out this week from the Ombudsman from Ch- for Children who basically said, you know, there was concerns over overcrowding. There's no safe play areas for kids per communication with centre management. And then the other thing is a lot of these people, English won't be their first language. So complaining is already going to be difficult. Yeah. And then these are people who are waiting for their visas to be processed. So you don't want to kick up a fuss in your centre because what if this affects your visa application? Yeah. So Niall Muldoon, who is the Ombudsman for Children, went in and interviewed a number of parents and families and found and produced this report and basically said like basic police checks to work with children weren't being done in some centres, which is unthinkable. Mm. Um, And, you know, the government has committed to end direct provision. Uh, Minister Roderick O'Gorman and Joe O'Brien, both Green ministers, have committed that they will end direct provision. But as we know, you know, one day is a day too long yeah. at this stage because we know how bad it is. Enough. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do. I do like. You know, it, it's not a surprise, but I do think it's good to have these things in black and white because yeah, you know, you can't argue with that. I don't think. Um. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then, unfortunately, we have to talk about another terrible story, which is what's happening in India with COVID. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we talked about. I think this is last week we talked about this. Um. Mm-hmm. But yeah. So. India, the it's basically gone from bad to worse. We know, you know, that India was struggling. They're in the middle of their second wave, so they had a long lockdown. Mm. In the first wave, it did really well. They were down to ten thousand cases a day at one point for a country of over a billion people. That was, you know, really successful. They actually thought they were out the gap. Um, they are absolutely not. They have had a resurgence. Um, the B one one seven variant is spreading through India. The English variant. Uh, which is much more contagious. Um, so now, and then they had a few religious festivals, some cricket matches, and the government there, the um, leader of India is a Hindu nationalist. And, you know, as I said before, he's a kind of Trump-like yeah. kind of guy, and that doesn't really suit a global pandemic. So India has become overrun. I'm sure people have seen um, the pictures and videos on the news this week of, you know, people, the reports of people suffocating outside hospitals, suffocating in hospital because there was no oxygen. Mm. Um, they were trying to, you know, get these new freight trains that would bring oxygen across the country, like ASAP. But we've now seen other countries step up. So California has sent, um, you know, thousands of ventilators and oxygen. Ireland, um, we sent ours during the week as well. We sent spare ventilators and oxygen to India. Mm. And like the thing with India too, because it's such a massive country, it also has a massive um community outside of India. So there are like huge communities of Indian people in Ireland and like we were talking during the week on RTE about how like the Indian people in the health service really held up the HSE and the health service and they were asking people you know to return the favour and donate any money that they could um, because there were there are now at almost nine, 19 million COVID infections mm. and because they don't have enough testing capacity they actually reckon it's more 
Mm. Um, so they were, at, you know, they had a world record there. There was 350,000 cases in one day. Mm. Um, but they actually think it's more because they, they don't even have enough tests and people are cremating their loved ones in public parks. They're cremating them in car parks. It's just, it's like something from a, I don't know, like an apocalypse film. Mm. It's incredibly sad and it's good to see, you know, other countries kind of stepping up. Yeah. Sending vaccines, sending ventilators, sending oxygen. But um, yeah, it just kind of goes to show that like dropping your guard, you know, one person dropping your guard is one thing. But when you're in a country of a billion people and, you know, they didn't really enforce a mask mandate um, from the government. It was all very patchy. Um, about when you had to wear your mask, it was kind of left to local governments. And there was no real, you know, effort from the government to kind of enforce it and this is this is what happened yeah yeah well it just goes to show you that you know you really do need to take care even as your vaccinations are happening you know this variant is intense and obviously india has a a particular set of circumstances which lends itself to spread and hopefully We'll see that let up a little bit this week as more supports end up there. Before I let you go, uh, let's talk about Joe Biden. We have the the poll of his first 100 days in presidency. Uh, mm-hmm. How did it go? Joe, sleepy Joe is sleeping no more. He is doing, <laughs> he's doing really well. So he's re- like relatively high marks from independence. And then obviously his own party is going to give him decent marks as well. So the 100 days is a big thing in American politics, your first 100 days as president. So basically, the way it kind of works is like the press more or less, um, well, used to anyway, they used to kind of give you a Bible for the first 100 days, and then they would kind of review your performance. Um, Mm. So yeah, he got an A or a B grade from 44% of independent voters, mm-hmm. um, which is incredibly high. Um, Donald Trump in, her, in his first 100 days got just 32. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to remember Donald Trump's first 100 days. I can't even imagine what madness. Wasn't that the Muslim ban? I think yeah, it would have been so, actually. Yeah. yeah, and then, um, you know, within Democrats, he's done really well. So a lot of this is linked, obviously, to the vaccine rollout. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, everyone in America... Every adult in America is now, um, what's the word? Eligible. Eligible, yeah. eligible for a vaccine. Um, and, you know, we've seen a massive decrease in cases. They actually have so many vaccines now and they're giving out so many vaccines that they're starting to see the numbers plateau um, and they'll eventually see them decrease. Mm. But it's been, um, you know, he's been very, very busy. You know, he's, for the first time ever, um, there is now child benefit in America which I think is insane they never had that before but Mm. he's brought in you know new social supports you know there's a new jobs plan he's rejoined the Paris Climate Accord he's basically tried to you know undo some of the worst damage that Trump has done and uh so yeah he's doing really well and I saw a very sad video of president former president Trump I saw this did you see that he's like in one of his hotels in Florida and he's on this tiny yeah tiny stage where a wedding band would play and he's just standing there ranting about how he won the election to like 15 people who are guests at the hotel some of the saddest things I've ever seen in my life but (laughs) couldn't have happened to a nicer person (laughs) I know I, I cannot find it in me to be in any way sympathetic but it is truly no, me a tragic sight to behold well Aoife <laughs> thank you so much for being with us this morning that's Aoife Moore of the Irish Examiner thank political you. correspondent always sharing the news with us and we will talk to you again next week have a great one thanks thanks Aoife Louise McSherry on 2FM